Well, the story so far. We went off into the hills, all excited, ready to do the next episode of the, the Lao Tzu. Chapter 50 we're on today. Uh, because the BBC promised it was going to be a very low wind day today. So we got all our notes and everything and we walked all the way up the hill. And it got windier and windier and windier until it was way too windy to record anything. So we, we just walked back and now we're recording in the house. So that's why you'll notice there's no background noise today. We're just sitting in, in the, uh, uh, the quiet room upstairs. So we've been hesitating with this chapter for a little bit because we just had some questions about the particular translation of the book we normally use. So we've looked at a couple of other translations and we're going to um, we're going to read out the chapter from a, a, a different book today. So um, let's do that and then let's just have a, a little talk through it and like why we were um, feeling a little bit iffy about the translation from the, the original book. Here it is, chapter 50, uh, and this is from the translation by Victor H. Meyer, uh, which we do sometimes refer to, but we're, mostly we've been using another translation, but we kind of like this better for this particular chapter. A person comes forth to life and enters into death. Three out of ten are partners of life. Three out of ten are partners of death. And the people whose every movement leads them to the land of death because they cling to life are also three out of ten. Now, what is the reason for this? It is because they cling to life. Indeed, I have heard that one who is good at preserving life, does not avoid tigers and rhinoceroses when he walks in the hills. Nor does he put on armour and take up weapons when he enters a battle. The rhinoceros has no place to jab its horn. The tiger has no place to fasten its claws. Weapons have no place to admit their blades. Now, what is the reason for this? Because on him there are no mortal spots. So what? Uh, just describe what was giving us this uh, problems with with this one. What would the uh, with the the different translations that we looked at? Normally, for most of these episodes, we're using a translation by. Man Ho Kwok, Martin Farmer and J. Ramsey from 1993, published in Element Books. And the city, you know, it's pretty good. It does it does the job for us. And on a couple of occasions, we have sort of gone further afield. We just needed to get some more information. The thing that worries me a little bit about this is uh, in the middle passage... Quote, living well is like wearing a kind of armour that nothing can penetrate. And that struck me as being against the, 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 the general drift. Which actually is kind of saying don't wear any armour. And then it's not a matter of adopting some kind of armour-like technique. Some special technique or, you know, or, or some psychic armour. 
or even magical armour. It's, it's not really that. It's almost counselling the opposite. The rest of it was, was, was quite fine. Now that last line, what is the reason for this invulnerability? Uh, because it, on him there are no mortal spots. Now I imagine given the scholarship of this Victor Meyer, that that is a very literal tra translation. And Meyer actually is using uh, what's thought to be the most authentic manuscript that was discovered in a grave somewhere in the, the 1960s, in which the chapter's actually in a different order. Uh, in, on Moyer's account, this is chapter 13, in all other accounts it's chapter 15. So I had a, a, a slight problem though with that, there, because on him there are no mortal spots, I think that's probably very, very literal. The usual translation of it used, actually I think it's got rather a nice version of that last line, or that last two lines, and they say, and why is this? And that means, you know, what is the cause or what is behind this invulnerability? And it's, it, it replies, because he is impeccable. I, like, I quite, quite like, like that translation, because he is impeccable. Even though there's a, it opens up a whole can of worms as to what he's meant by impeccable. I mean, it makes you think of Carlos Castaneda, doesn't it? You know? It does, yeah. <laughs> you know, she's like a man He's always like, going on about the impeccable warrior, wasn't he? The it? impeccable warrior, yeah. yeah. And I think we can talk about that. Now, in, in the Jain English, and Jiafu Feng translation, which is another one, very popular. At the end, again, you know, tiger has no place to use their claws, weapons no place to pierce. Why is this so? Because he has no place for death to enter. So we've got three, you see, see how, how different those, those three concluding lines are. And I think we're, we're going to need to tease that out. Mm. Um, and how about the beginnings? Do, do they all... Uh, is, yeah. The, all that stuff at the beginning, yeah. is that quite similar in each it's one? It's pretty similar, yeah. I mean, what you've got, what is, it's a kind of a classification of types of people. Let's say like this kind of stuff, you know, it's all very sim simplified and generalised. And uh, there's basically three three types of people. Three out of ten are partners of life. Three out of ten are partners of death. And the people whose every movement leads them to the land of death because they cling to life. There's three three types. And, and obviously there's one left over because three three is annoying and three out of ten. So, well, the last one, I suppose, is, is, is the sage. You know, it's the one, the one who is good at preserving life. I mean, basically, I think this it's it's very generalised and sim simplified and perhaps even simplistic. But you can see, you know, three in ten are partners of life. I mean, that that, that is just people who have a basic life affirmative attitude. Their their actions are geared towards enhancing life, and that means geared towards helping other people to to have a better life than the, than they do. For perhaps working on, on developments that are going to be a benefit to everybody in some kind of life-enhancing way. But also like life affirmative, willing to say, yeah, yeah, life's, life's hard, but it's good and we're pleased to be alive. You know, on the, on, on, at the end of the day, we're going to say yes to it. 
But of course, there are people who are partners of death. I mean, people who you might say are driven by the death instinct, just to just get back to our kind of all our thinking about fascism. <laughs> fascism yeah. is the weaponisation of the death instinct. It'll go the whole log right the way on to death. You know, death before dishonour. There's some glory in sacrificing yourself. Uh, partners of death, you know, warlike people who are willing to keep going and keep going and keep going to, 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 to the very end, to, to destruction. People who are driven by, by some kind of destructivity. And we know that. I mean, just world history teaches us that, you know. Which is why all kinds of people spend a lot of time trying to explain fascism. Psychologists, political theorists, economists, all kinds of people. Because of its sheer destructiveness, and over and over and over again, there are factions of humanity that fall into that pattern. And at the bottom, there is perhaps some kind of life negation there, some kind of thought that, well, fuck it. <laughs> you know, you know, some, some, some kind of condemnation of life that will drive people into just into destructivity and self-destructivity kind of a, a sadomasochism turned on, on the self that can in certain circumstances get writ large into political movements and wars and violent breakdowns of society and he, okay then he classifies a third type of people people who cling to life and he finds that kind of destructive. It leads to the land of death clinging to life. And this is an insight that Patanjali's got as well. It's, it's, it's almost... That clinging to life is almost bound to make you fuck up. You know, in, in, in your basic operations in life that just help you to preserve it and enhance it. And we know that. You can be so anxious that you trip over every stone. Yeah. You know that there's a kind of that that anxiety about the fact of death can invite all kinds of disasters because you're just too stiff to deal with life as it unfolds, too stiff, too rigid, too too fearful to sort of, to, to grab opportunities, you know, to to move with some kind of grace and fluidity through through it. So he's pointing that out as well. And I think these are good, they're very generalised, but they're good insights. And over and against that, he, he, he um, describes the, the one who is good at preserving life. And I think the people, you know, the people who are partners of life, if they have a certain skill will become good at preserving it. I think that's a basic requisite of being good at preserving life, is that you kind of, you affirm it, you love it, you work to enhance it. On the terrain beyond your individual self, it's a kind of a social way of thinking as well, thinking about others. If that could be refined with some meditational insight, that you'll, you, you'll get one who is good at preserving life. Such people don't fall for being rendered clumsy and inept by their fear. They're not paralysed by their fear of, of life. And therefore, they don't invite disaster. And it, I mean, this is clear. When he says, 
they do not avoid tigers and rhinoceroses when they walk in the hills. There are tigers and rhinoceroses in the hills, rhinoceroses in the hills, but they're afraid of them. They still will still go in the hills. And the, and battle, they don't, they don't become so paralysed that they're kind of encumbered with great big loads of heavy armour and unworldly weapons. They know they can kind of be more fluid without that and therefore more likely to survive. So it's a little bit counterintuitive and it is hyperbolic. Lao is always hyperbolic. And then he gives the reason. The rhinoceros has no place to jab its horn. The tiger no place to fasten its claw. The weapons have no place to admit their blades. And what is the reason for this? And I would say it is it is that extreme acceptance, relaxation, life affirmation that leads to a kind of fearlessness and a fluidity that, uh, that, that results in not putting out hostile vibes, not inviting disasters because you, you're very lacking in spontaneity and fluidity through fear, through anxiety, that that becomes a kind of an easeful moving through the world. But enables one to avoid dangers almost spontaneously and without, perhaps without thinking and so forth. Now, I'm, I'm, we've got three different reasons given, given for this, you know, three different ways of expressing what the reason for this might be. Because there are no mortal spots. Such a person has no mortal spots on him. And I think this might be a, a reference to the immortalist Deism, Shen Deism, the magical Deism that Lao Tzu doesn't mention very much. And, and, and he also hints that it, it's there, he's aware of its existence, but he's not like a, a big fan. Certainly Chang Su, a later Taoist, just takes the piss out of immortalist Taoism, you know, he's, he doesn't bother with all this funny breathing, you know, adopting the shapes of animals, like kind of Hatha Yoga-like techniques, or Qigong-like techniques, he takes the piss. But here, there's kind of a nod to that, you know, but I, I would I would say its deeper meaning is, is is one of being deeply relaxed in the flow and the flux of life, which is being very very closely acquainted with with the Tao itself, which is the the core process of existence itself. That's what that's what it means to have no mortal spots. A mortal spot is attention. It, it's a, a a kind of knot of fear in the body. Or, you know, there is no place for death to enter. Same thing, you know. And it, it, it's, I don't want to kind of overplay the language of emptiness, but it is like a, it's like a kind of an e emptiness. It's a kind of an absence of, of the most anxious kind of self-consciousness that paralyses people and makes them clumsy and stiff. And therefore, uh, compromised when it comes to the actual the the the, the, the dangerous business of living, they become compromised vis-à-vis -vis their abilities to to cope with it all. Or, or the other translation, because he's impeccable. And that is again, that's got like a kind of a resonance with with the idea that Lao Tzu is making a nod at the immortalist devils, the people that actually do stuff. 
that apply techniques. All the time in this text, in all of our episodes, we can find that he's, he's, not, he's not fussed about techniques except that very simple being with life itself, being in the flow of life itself, that kind of letting be, but with awareness. That seems to be the method that, for, for acquainting oneself with the Tao. But here, there's that little hint at some kind of some kind of discipline, you know. And because he is impeccable, that discipline of the warrior, yeah, impeccable. But impeccab- impeccability, really, as far as I can see, is just ruthless truth-telling to yourself. No hidden corners in yourself. No, no, no self-fibbing. No telling fibs to yourself. No, either of the, of the kind of Panglossian type where everything's everything's great, or of the overly dark and pessimistic type, where you're just frightened that something's going to happen any minute and life's a crock of shit, and and uh, uh, and thereby inviting problems and accidents and misfortune. But somewhere straight down the middle, there's, a, there's this kind of ruthless honesty, which is a, an aware being with life itself as it unfolds, straight down the middle. That's what impeccability is. That's what having no mortal spots is. And it is a discipline, but at the same time, it's not a, an enormous, elaborate discipline. Overly complicated, overly complicated spiritual disciplines do themselves become... Very tense affairs that make you trip over a matchstick, you know, that might, you know. And that give your being a kind of a quality of anxiety that invites disaster and hostility. So I think that's what's going on there. It, it, it is, it's about living well. It's worth more than that, it's about living very well by being acquainted with the Tao. Being acquainted with the Tao is a discipline, though a very, very simple one, but it's a, it's a discipline of ruthless honesty with self, which is impeccability. And being, at the same time, very, very, very relaxed, which is having no mortal spots, or no place for death to enter. Then then one lives well, in as much as you can in this uh, <laughs> troubled world. Yeah. Okay, well, I hope everyone found that interesting and hopefully helpful as well. We'll bid you farewell and we will speak to you again soon.